Welcome to Baila Room. My name is Ilias, and today I had the chance to speak with a multi-talented individual that dropped a lucrative job and decided to follow the creative path of writing. We talked about social media inner workings, the art of content writing, and of course, salsa dancing. To properly introduce my next guest, I will use a quote pulled out of an article that he wrote for our salsa dance school. One of my great regrets is that it took me 50 years to realize how much I needed dancing in my life. Now that I know, it's hard to let go. Without further ado, I bring you Laurent Duperval. One, two, one, two. Oh, okay, this is funny. DJ Laurent right here. Yeah, one baby. time, one time. Showing off my legs. So, Check, showing it out. Off, Check showing out the beautiful legs right here. <laughs> Check this out. You know, we're both we're both strutting our hair. Strutting our hairs. Nobody can see because it's probably also uh, an audio podcast, most probably. So, uh, we can't see. So, we're just telling you guys we are in shorts. <laughs> So um, we're hoping it's going to be in a yeah exactly we're gonna have excerpts and it's just gonna be our leg hair <laughs> it's gonna be click through rate up the ante uh, uh, just before uh, we we pressed record yes. we're touching a very interesting subject mm-hmm. so I want to really get into that hard so basically it is uh, what's happening with our creators okay and the social media platforms and outrage metrics. If you want to get in and to explain sure. what is happening just what you said before but just if you can explain and give a an image of what it's all about right now for, as a creator because you are a content creator uh, i am i am um yes so I'm. can you paint a picture of what's happening right now in social media well it depends on the social media you're, you're talking about so there's a lot um the number of social media platforms is steadily growing Um, you still have the big ones like Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitter, uh, TikTok, which has become um, one of the best at uh, determining what is important to you. And all of these platforms work on algorithms. So what they do is they figure out what you like, they think they know what you like, and then they just show you more and more and more of that. And what's been happening is that in the past few years, I would say the past four to five years, um, there has been a lot of polarized opinions in in the world. Um, And we'll we'll talk mainly about North America, Canada, the US, uh, but there has been a lot of polarizing. And some of it is driven, I think, by social media. I think a lot of it is driven by Um, the discourse that has been um, presented on uh, what they call in French the radio poubelle, so the, the, the garbage radio. Yeah, but it's there's a, well, it's, it's extreme, not extreme talk radio, but more um, where they're denouncing everything. And one of the things I saw is that one week they're denouncing something, and the week after they denounce everybody that was denouncing what they were denouncing the week before. So the goal is not to, it's not even to be coherent. It's not even to have um, a position. It's to be outraged because the more outrageous um, you are, the better the clicks and you get money 
from uh, you get monetized when you when you get more clicks so the goal and it's it's something that's annoying because there's a lot of people who go in IT or who have engineering backgrounds who learn about algorithms and so on who are very good and what do they end up doing they end up working for these big platforms where the goal is just to make you spend more time on your device and more time clicking on stuff where these algorithms algorithms could be put to use to develop better vaccines, um, better um, uh, better drugs to treat certain diseases. There's uh, so many ways that these engineers, with their knowledge, with um, their, their skills, um, they could put it to use for something that really pays, that, that really benefits the society. But instead, what do we do? More clicks. More money, mm. more clicks, more money, and do you think there's a part where, uh, if the algorithm is 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 doing his stuff on its own, and it and it basically traps us or talks to us in a way where it triggers the worst part of our personalities, like the addictive kind of personality. So let's say the algorithm is just created to find what you like. But you re react all the time to the most negative thing as if you have a negative bias. Mm -hmm. So then it shows you more negative things. And then you believe the world is screwed up. And then yeah, you're outraged. And then you click more and stuff like that. So by the algorithm, is it's like almost like it found a loophole in our personalities as humans. And it's just going to feed us, you know, shit. And yes, but. So first, algorithms are not entities by themselves all these algorithms are built by by humans with human biases and so on so we've seen algorithms where um they are more likely to um to identify black people as being um um, um criminals or, or, or things like that so or the we've seen situa seen situations where the algorithm the way it was produced would see a picture of a black person and it would say this is an ape and and these are real situations that happen and one of the reasons it happens is because of coder bias whoever codes the the algorithm they have their view of the world if everyone who codes an algorithm is a white male between 25 and 40 you're going to see that bias you need to put in black females you need to put in asians you need to put in people who speak different languages you need to put people from different social um, economic backgrounds the more diversity you can put when you create these algorithms mm. the more the better they will be that said i don't think you can go into any company right now who has these advanced algorithms and they can tell you exactly how it works Because there are so many aspects in these algorithms, they are so complex that I believe that at some point nobody really knows exactly what it does. They want, they can't see for sure. This is if I give this, if I give it A, B, and C, it's going to give me D, E, F at the end. It might give me D, E, F, but it might be E, F, G or something completely different. They, but they, what what if if uh, you got a good point about um, the bias? Mm -hmm. Now, I read two stories. One is the, the, the algorithm created white supremacist Facebook pages and people start to like them. Mm -hmm. And they realize that, oh my God, there's like something like a, a glitch in the algorithm. And the other story that I, that I read about is that 
at some point in time, the algorithm, or we can even diverge into uh, AI, Mm-hmm. Start two computers start to talk to each other in a coded language, and then they shut off the, the experiment. Yeah, so it, it could it could have a life of its own. No, it could have a life of it of its own. But is it really thinking the way we interpret thinking? I don't think so. It's just it's mathematical equations. It's just that they're they are so complex that at some point you don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's it's like you take a you take a pail of water. And you put it on the top of uh, let's let's say you put a cone. Do you know how much water and do you know how much water is going to be, go left and how much is mm-hmm. going to go right? And no, you don't. You have a general idea of what's going to happen, but you can't see for sure. And I think that's what happens. And if on your cone there are crooks and and crannies and and areas where the water will flow differently. Well, it might attract more water, and then you end up having more water going into one location just because you didn't see the crack and you didn't realize what the effect would be. So I, I think that's part of the that's part of the problem. Another aspect is, um, and I was listening to a podcast um, earlier this week on why the TikTok algorithm is so good. So if anybody's interested, the um, Uh, the podcast is called Reply All. It's a great podcast. Um, they talk about anything that has to do with the internet. Mm. And, and sometimes it's really wild. One of the best episodes they did was two or three years ago. You know when you get those calls from um, people claiming that they're from Microsoft and they mm. want to fix? Yeah, yeah. And the team decided to go to the root of that to figure out where it originated from and the guy ended up having to go to india and it it's it was really awesome so if you like if you like this sort of internet stuff it's a very interesting podcast and this week a girl was talking about the uh, um tiktok and why tiktok is so good at determining what you like and what you don't like and one of the differences that they mentioned that i found interesting is that Normally on YouTube, Facebook, whatever, whenever you click like, that's when they say, okay, he likes that, I'll give him more of that. But TikTok takes a different approach. They don't just take a look at it, whether you like it or not. They see, how much time did you spend looking at it? Did you watch it from beginning to end? Did you stop in the middle? When you stopped in the middle, what was happening in the middle because you may like the video and then somebody says something and said you know what i'm out and if they realize that you do that with one or two videos they'll realize okay any video that talks about that he doesn't like so i won't show him that but the other videos even so he even though he says he doesn't like them because you found it's too outrageous or whatever um You watched it from beginning to end. So there is something there that you like. So I'm going to find some more of these types of videos that you're going to like. So they have a very different algorithm. And I'm not on TikTok. Maybe I should. But I'm not on TikTok. And what I've heard from people who are on TikTok and love TikTok, they say it's as if it's in my brain. It knows exactly what I like. It knows exactly what I want to see. So they really, really have a good al- algorithm to, 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 to show content. To I tried TikTok and mm-hmm. I installed it and uninstalled it three times. It is the most efficient and addictive app I ever used. <laughs> and I uninstalled it because I found myself 30 minutes later still on it 
and wondering what the hell is happening. And I thought to myself, I'm already on YouTube, I'm already on Facebook, I'm already on Twitter. I dabble into LinkedIn. Mm. So I'm thinking, that's it. I'll be lost, you know. I won't have any more time to do creative stuff. And and an interesting thing you you mentioned when TikTok anal- analyzes the drop off rate. Mm-hmm. And once I went on and I checked my videos and I checked, I was interesting to see what's happening in what video, in where it drops off like mm-hmm. substantially. Mm-hmm. And then I would watch the video and check the minute exactly and see what I did I say <laughs> to, <laughs> to turn people off. And then. Uh, the last I can see maybe last year I was really struggling between giving something that the algorithm likes and what the public would respond to versus doing something that passions me or what I would love to do and this tug of war was really hard because I got so lost into the algorithm and the analytics I was talking about views and and drop-off rates and stuff like that that I was miserable. I, I didn't know from what standpoint I would create anymore. So I'm thinking, okay, this video had a lot of views, so let me do something similar. Or, mm-hmm. And trying to figure out why people liked it and stuff like that. And I would get lost into that and literally it was like paralysis by analysis. Like I was not creating anything. At one point in time, I really had to say to myself, I go, listen, I can't watch those numbers anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's almost like it's a job in itself. Like it's for professionals. And I should really embrace the creative part. Like really concentrate what 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 flashes I have and stuff like that. But that part and it's almost like the artist versus the businessman. And mm. very conflicting sometimes. Very, very hard. I don't yeah. know if you, you 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 went through that at some point or no. I so you said I was a creator. I'm a creator, but I create for other people. I don't create much for myself. It's something I know I have to fix. At some point, I have to show people <laughs> what I do when I write for myself because a lot of the writing I do, people don't know I do it. So I do. I didn't know. You like didn't I didn't know. No, I honestly, when when you wrote, I did not know you were a content creator. And the piece you wrote for me was brilliantly written. Like I read it, I was like, man, you write well, like it's serious business. And then I still didn't know. And then I see this award you won. Can you tell me about the award first? Uh. Please, come on, (laughs) please, you won. (laughs) First, let's start with with the award. What was the award about? So I joined, when the pandemic started, um, I was working for an airline and- um, Doing what? Uh, program manager okay project management and um when it hit in mid-march 2020 it they told us very quickly guys our numbers are going to drop off uh, tremendously so anybody who is a contractor even if you have a contract until the end of the year at the end of the month you're all out so on the 31st of march um, was my last day in a corporate job working for the airline. And then for uh, two, three weeks, I stayed home, tried not to work too much. I tried not to worry. I, it was like, you know what? It's pandemic. We're stuck at home. Let's enjoy life as a family, which w- is what we did. And I realized after a few weeks that this commuting two hours in the morning, two hours at night to get from my my bed to to the office and back, it was killing me. I I realized that that's four hours of my life. That's 
20 hours a week that I lose because I am sitting somewhere just waiting to be dropped off and ready to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that that two to three week period, I decided I'm never going back to work in an office full time. That is it. That was my last job. And my plan is to never go back to work in an office full time. So I had to find something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I've always liked writing. So I started looking at ways to make money while writing. And one of the best ways I found was copywriting. So what is copywriting? It's writing to persuade people, to get them to do something. Usually it's sales, uh, but sometimes it can be to drive somebody to your website, drive somebody to take out, uh, to uh, download something. It doesn't always have to be an exchange of money. Mm. Um, so anything you see on the web, um, you see Facebook ads, you see Google ads. They're all written by copywriters. A lot of videos, um, even a lot of podcasts are written by copywriters. And then somebody says whatever the copywriter told told them to say. All the blogs, um, well, I can't say all the blog, blogs because some people write blogs and they're not copywriters. But most of the b- company blogs, most of the blogs you see where they speak about a product, a service, um, they're writing something to, to teach, they're written by copywriters. And with everything moving to the web, um, the, the, the market for copywriters grew tremendously. So I said, mm-hmm. you know what? I can do this at home. Um, um, all I need to do is find clients. Um, do good work, and eventually I will build my credibility. I will build my uh, my reputation, and I should be able to live from copywriting. Are, are you able to? I'm almost there. Okay. Um, the the there's a there's still a big difference between what what I was doing as a project manager and what I'm doing now as a copywriter. Yeah. But every month, it's the numbers are going up. So eventually, I'm. I'm assuming, I'm, I'm expecting that by the end of this year or sometime next year, I should be about at the same level. We'll see. There's, yeah. there's a part um, of copywriting that intrigues me. For, for first, I thought, um, let's say if I want to create content for my business, mm-hmm. I have an edge because I know my clients. Mm-hmm. Then if I ask you to write a, a piece for me, mm-hmm. okay, and I say, listen, I need a piece, I know you're a dancer. We'll get into that later. <laughs> it's also a dancer. It's a so I know, I know, I know, I, I, know <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I know that you, you, you I didn't know first you, you wrote well, but you, I think uh, you said, I can write something or you, you volunteered or I can't remember how, how it started. But I remember saying that you're in a very good position to write something mm-hmm. from your standpoint. And for me, The blog is, if we if we if we talk about it as a selling point, is an extreme 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 soft sell. Like if if anything, I want to relate an experience. I want to relate, and that at one point, if somebody relates that good, then you can take classes. But I knew you were in a very good position to write something compelling. Now, what do you do when, let's say, the client, I don't know, sells toilet paper, like or something that sounds or less maybe on the spot you, you really feel less connection or you how do you approach this like how what do you do or or even uh, 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 harder something that you don't know anything about let's say um, 
logging, like something off the wall. How mm -hmm. do you approach this? So there's a couple of, there's a few ways. Um, number one is knowing who your clientele is. Um, I, my background is in IT. I love writing. I like anything that's related to personal development. So any project or any company that has um, content that they need to write in those domains, those will interest me and I'll, I'll take a look and decide, can I work and produce something of value to them or not? Um, the, if, you, if you realize that somebody is not your target market, that what they're offering you to, to write about um, does not match with what you want, then you can just say, you know what, I can't do this for you. However, I know this other copywriter who would be great. For example, if somebody comes to me with um, uh, industrial, uh, industrial um, maintenance or stuff yeah. like that, I'm not going to take it. But I know a guy in the States who's very good at that. So if somebody comes to me and says, I need content for my website and it's all about industrial maintenance, I'm going to send it to Steve. Mm. You know, Steve is very good at it. I'm not interested in learning about it, so I won't write it. But if it's a, if it's a topic that I don't know much about, but I do want to learn about it, then I'll take it. Do you feel that, that some businesses just want to jam stuff on their website versus yes. some other businesses want to develop a, a conversation with the clients? Yes, and that's, that's one of the things that as copywriters we're trained uh, to, to, to fix, quote-unquote. You don't just put stuff on your website. First of all, you need to understand who are you talking to? Mm. Who's it? So it's, uh, there's a concept in marketing called the persona. Um, and the persona is sort of a representation of uh, your client. So for example, if I take you, personas for you would be uh, somebody who's always wanted to learn how to dance, but thinks they have left two left seat feet. Mm -hmm. So you would have content for that type of person. You have other people who um, have, uh, have experience in other types of dancing and now want to do Latin dancing. That's another persona. You have content that's different that's aimed to that group. Um, you may have people who are very advanced and are thinking of doing competitions. So you can have content specific to that, that group. But the information for the person who is starting for the first time is definitely not the same as the person who has 10, 15 years of experience and wants to do competitions. Mm. Uh, you, you can't write the content and expect that one piece of content is going to work for everybody. So the first thing that I do when I work with a client is I ask them, do you know who, you who your target market is? If I was to ask you, if I were to ask you, Describe to me your, who you're writing for. Um, what do they do? What are their goals? What are they ch their challenges? What are they, their interests? What are they trying to achieve? Um, what type of medium do, you, do they like? Where do they get their, their information? Do they like email? Do they prefer videos? When, if I start asking a business owner all these questions, a lot of times they don't know. So as part of my job as a copywriter is mm. to set that first gate. Let's first understand who you're writing for. Once we understand who you're writing for, then we'll try to figure out 
what to write and what to put on your website. But if you're just producing content because somebody told you you just need to put content, um, it's not going to work because it won't be relevant for your audience because you don't know who your audience is. What do you find? Uh, do you find what is the percentage of people when you meet them? You you feel right off the bat they want a magic pill, like a solution. <laughs> uh, like uh, you give them an article and they have like ten thousand views. Um, what is what is? I think most people, uh, most people who've never dealt with content marketing. So we talk about copywriting. Copywriting is the act of of doing the writing, but uh, content marketing is the whole approach of creating content. Uh, for marketing purposes. Um, most people do not understand copywriting. They do not understand content, uh, content marketing. And they will want to put one or two blog posts and expect millions of people to fall on it and, and, Does that, and buy from it. When, when you realize that during a meeting, what do you do? Well, after I explain to them, that's not how it works. Um, you, if you have to be, you have to be um, regular You have to publish regularly and you have to publish on various topics that interest your audience. Mm. Otherwise, they won't come back. Why should they come back to your to your website if the last post that you put was November 2017? And I'm saying that because I went to a website of someone who wanted to work with me um, earlier this year. And I went back to see, uh, because it didn't work out at the time, but I went back to see, okay... Where are you with your content? And the content is still November 2017. Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not. Maybe they have so many clients that they don't need uh, to have content on their website. Maybe they're getting um, um, clients from other other methods, mm. which is great. But if your goal is to get clients from your website, you need to develop You need to show that you know what you're talking about. You need to show that you have expertise, that you have authority, that you understand your your niche, your your um, your your business, yeah. and that you can help other people. And that's one of the key points. That, that's one of, one of the most important points when you're writing for, uh, for for your for a client is what does the client want? We don't really care what you want because if you put stuff that only you're interested in um, the clients will start reading it and walk away you need to write from the client's position mm. what problem are you solving with this blog post um, and I've seen I, 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 some of ex examples that you have for example on your YouTube videos you have one is um, how to uh, five ways to um, always um, complete your turns or five five techniques to to come to be able to turn correctly mm. Mm. well that's that's somebody who needs help with that specific yeah. point so you you're very targeted yeah. and you you produce something that is important for the person who's watching it you're not you're not talking about yeah look at how good i am look at how many yeah. turns i can make without <laughs> falling <laughs> It, you really right. have to put yourself yeah, 100% and for dancing it's easy right yeah. because for dancing as a as a teacher you know that a lot of people are afraid they think they have two left feet mm. there's there's techniques that are involved with dancing and it's visible when you're talking about content marketing when you're talking about copywriting um, many people think i can write So I could go ahead and 
write the, the blog and, and that's it. Um, no, that's not it. There's a, there's a lot of elements that are important. You have to write conversationally. Um, you have to write at a reading level of sixth to eighth or ninth grade. If it's too hard to read, people will stop reading. Okay. There's, a, there's mm. formatting rules. If you have very large paragraphs on the web, people don't read it. They're yeah. afraid. They just look at it and they step away because it mm. seems hard to read. So there's one of the things I learned when I started writing for the web. Um, the first thing uh, uh, one of my uh, teachers said was, anything your English teacher taught you, you throw it out the window mm. because it will not work on the web. I said, okay, fine. So, 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 so there's, there's, there's that aspect. And when, when you do something that a lot of people think they can do, it's much harder to convince them that no, there's, there's another way to do it. And the way you're doing it, it's probably not the best. Hmm. And uh, I, I have to do that when I'm selling copywriting, but I used to a few years ago, I used to teach people how to do public speaking. Mm. And uh, when you do public speaking, it's not the same as what we're doing now, which is just having a conversation. Mm. When you're all alone on stage and you're talking to, to people in front of you, there are ways to talk that are effective and others uh, that are not. And if the, the best place to see this in action is at a wedding. When they ask somebody to do a speech, and some people are very good at it, but a lot of people are either very bad, so they try to wing it and it is awful, or they have a paper in hand and they're just reading mm. the paper and, and it affects the delivery. And yeah. they think, yeah, well, you know, if, if I'm just talking to you, I can do it fine, so I'll be able to, I'll be fine when, when I go on stage. And, and, and that's not the case. And I remember I went to a wedding once and, um, the groom had asked me, um, the, the best man is going to do a speech. Uh, I know you give that training. Would you coach him? And I told him, no. What I will do is I will offer to coach him. I'm not going to go to him and tell him, look, you need, you need for me to coach you. I'm just going to tell him, this is what I do. This is what I can do for you. Let me know if you would like some help with your with How does your a coaching speech. session go? Like, what do you do? And back then, yeah. um, a lot of times it's organizing the, the thoughts mm. um, because people tend to wander. Um, so giving them a structure. Uh, what I tended to do, especially for people who were starting, I would tell them, you know what? The exact words aren't important. Just make sure that in your head you have three points you're going to talk about. Yeah. Which one are you going to talk about first? What are you going to say about it? Then move to the next one and then move to the next one conclusion yeah. remember the two most important parts are the introduction and the conclusion because the introduction will tell them whether they should keep listening to you or not and the conclusion will tell them how they felt it it, it tells them i felt good or mm. not everything in the middle yeah. most likely they're going to forget as long as you're interesting and you tell stories uh, because stories are the best way to engage people when you're, when you're speaking or when you're writing um you'll, you'll be fine but most people don't know that. It's, it's simple when you've done it for a while, and I used to do this a lot back in the day. Um, but you realize at some point that there are some things that you know and you kind of take for granted, 
And yeah. when other people do the same thing that you're doing, you realize, okay, wait a minute. I do that much better than they do. What do I know that they don't know? And mm. that's that's the piece that you you have to learn. I uh, have a, teach. uh, a uh, teacher in uh, Sec 5 that saw something in me that uh, propelled me in the French class. And every time I, I would fail or have a hard time passing French classes, mm -hmm. I would like 60, 61, and I would struggle, right? right? And fail a lot of exams. And she, for some reason, decided to put a lot of emphasis on uh, uh, public speaking, oral debates, and I would be really good. But I, she reflected that. She reflected to me that I was mm -hmm. good. So I got really involved in the French class, and I thought French was so cool. Mm. And it was just through speaking in front of everybody and then through my evolution at university level i was explaining to somebody that before taking my following year i would walk around the hallway meet the teachers that were teaching the following classes ask their curriculum i would grab their curriculum because i would show interest in their class they would happy to hand me their curriculum so i would grab it i would look how many written things <laughs> i needed to do <laughs> versus how many oral uh, things I needed to do. And, and I would the pick oral. the one the oral, right? Yeah. So I just maximize my, my success rate. Because mm -hmm. I had a paper that uh, I, I gave uh, to a teacher and, and an oral speaking for the same paper. And I presented my paper, I had 94. And then he, he literally called me and he said, listen, I want to meet you in, the, in my, my office. And I'm like, why? So I sit down. And he looks, he takes the paper and looks at me and goes, I cannot understand how a brilliant guy like you gives me this piece of crap. <laughs> and he literally said that. And I took the paper and I was written, it was like 64, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. And then throughout uh, the experience, because I didn't know I was bad in writing, really. Mm -hmm. I, didn't know, I didn't understand what was not clear, basically. And I, I was part of a group of students which had five girls and I was the only guy. Poor me. Oh, okay, poor a sad story. Very but sad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they were happy. I remember them being happy being with me because I was bilingual. Mm -hmm. So 95% of our uh, studies were in English, okay. even though I was in a French university. So I was translating a lot of things and helping them out. And they helped me uh, to figure out what was wrong with what I was writing. And exactly what it goes back to what you said. It's extremely hard to write clearly because when you write, you think it's clear for, for you, right? Mm -hmm. And then when somebody reads it, he goes, it's a clutter. I don't understand what the hell you were saying. And to and another thing you said really, really good about organizing thoughts, like organizing paragraphs with separate thoughts that complement each other. I did not know that. Nobody mm -hmm. taught me that. It's the girls that helped me. I was like, okay, listen, Elias, this is, this is, and this is wrong. And just a, a side story, uh, lately my, 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 my eight-year-old girl uh, had to do an oral presentation and I literally did what you, you explained, literally. She first read the, her, her presentation. I look and I look at her, goes here. I gave her a cue card and I said to her, all these five things you, you read me, I'm just telling you, if you're reading this in front of everybody, it's gonna be boring. He goes, everybody that reads papers in front of everybody is boring as hell. Let's go, let's be honest, right? So I said, every sentence that you read me, pick one word that represents this sentence, just one, and write it. That's my number one. Let's say the first is, I don't know, flower. You're talking about flower? Just write flower. Don't write the whole sentence. Mm -hmm. And then I went through these five points that she said. And then I said to her, grab this cue card, 
and look at it and start the presentation again. We ran through three, four times and she got the jizz. You know what she told me? She goes, man, by the time I hit the stage, she said, dad, I never looked at my cue card. Of course. <laughs> of course, because so, there's, like, there's, there's much less to, to, to remember. Yeah. Um, l- l- bullet points is, are, are essential because they, they're there to give you direction. They're not there to tell you exactly what to say. They're there to give you direction. Um, I do a radio show. You were on my radio show the other day. We had a pre-interview, and then we did the interview. So after the, the pre, our pre-interview, I went over what we discussed, and I made some points. I said, okay, we're going to talk about this, about this, about this, about that. And that's all I had when you came to the studio. I just looked at those points, and we spoke about them, and eventually we, we spoke about other stuff. But I did not have a complete set of, I got to ask this question first, and then this one next. Because that's, when I do my radio shows, that's not what I want to do. I have a conversation. I want to have a conversation like we're having now. And a lot of that came from me um, learning how to do public speaking, where I realized, just put a few items down, put that on the, sh- on the table in front of, practice first. That's another thing also, is that people, when, when it comes to, whether it's, whether it's writing or, and I'll talk about writing later, but public speaking, um, a lot of people think um, I should not practice because then I'll look stilted when it's time to perform. No, what are you talking about? Think of it like you're an actor. Do you really believe an actor will show up on stage and give the performance on stage by not practicing? Mm. Of course not. Mm. They know their lines so well that when they are on stage, they live the lines. They're not reciting the lines. They're living the lines. Yeah, sure, at the beginning, they're reciting. They're, it's all in their head. But eventually, the more the, they practice, the better they know it, the better they know it, and they can put some emphasis on on certain aspects and they can play a role same thing somebody who who dances or somebody who plays an instrument if they do not repeat those songs and those those patterns repeatedly whenever they try it on the dance floor or when they play it in front of people they're in their head yeah it's like, okay after this is what's next this is what's next no 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 that's not that, that. so in the case of dancing and um, especially playing uh, an instrument, an instrument you have to play note for note. So you really have to learn it all by heart and then eventually you can, you can do it. Dancing, you have, to understand the, you have to understand the sequence and the sequence has to be, uh, has to be um, internalized enough that it comes naturally. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about dancing later. Let's but, do it. Um, one of the things that I have a problem with is initiating a move in dance. Hmm. If I don't remember the first couple of moves, I can't do the figure. And I, I realize it um, often. I'm on the dance floor and then I'm dancing and my partner says, you're in your head. I said, yes, because I'm trying to remember a move. I don't remember how to start it. <laughs> but once I, I, once I start it, yeah. um, I get the two or three first steps, then I'm usually able to complete it. But par- a lot of that has to do with repetition, repetition, repetition. And when you do public speaking, um, even if you have all your points and you know what you have to say, get up, 
talk to your lamp, talk to a plant. When I used to do this, I used to practice my speeches. I would talk to a, I would be in my office. I would talk to a plant. I would talk to a lamp just to, just to have somebody I'm talking to or something I'm talking to because it allows me to express myself better. And then when I get in front of an audience and I talk in front of an audience, then I'm more comfortable and it comes out better. With writing, um, my process for writing is, is pretty complex. I, I want to simplify it, but usually I do a first draft, let it lie, and then two, three days after, I go back and I reread it to see, does this make sense? But let's not get away from dance. No, we'll, oh, get, we'll, wanna... <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to dance. Wait, we'll get back to dance. Let's me finish the writing and then we'll get to dance. Um, so I, I, I put it down. I come back two, three days later and I reread it from beginning to end. And do I understand what I meant? And a lot of times, first drafts, you don't understand what you were trying to say. And then you mm-hmm. have to rewrite it because writing is really rewriting. The first draft doesn't matter. Just get it out of your head and then take a few days, go back, and then you clean it up and so on. So that's part of the practicing and when you're writing. Whereas students, what they learn often is uh, write it and hand it in and I'm going to give you a score. Uh, yeah. not, not quite. Yes, dancing. Yes, my friend. Time to dance. <laughs> so how did you get into salsa dancing? What, was, what, was, what were you thinking before of that dance? How did you get into it and what's your feeling about it? I come from a Haitian family and um, we, lived in, um, we lived in Sherbrooke a long time. And there was a guy in, uh, in, our, in our community, his name was Guy. And Guy was nuts about salsa. He would try, my parents were the, the people who made the best parties in Sherbrooke. So you knew when there was a party at our house, it was going to be something. And my dad used to have, my parents used to have parties, I don't know, two, three times a year. And Guy, whenever he came, he'd be like, dude, put some salsa, put some salsa. But at the time, people didn't dance. What's his full name? Uh, you know? Yes, I do. You, want, you don't want to say I, it? I won't say it. He yeah. passed away. So okay, passed away. Um, I can't get his permission. No problem. No so, problem. No problem. But, but if anyone from my family knows... I they, maybe they, I knew him. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, he, no, it. no. He, he, well, maybe we'll discuss after. No problem. We're off mic. Um, but um, so he always wanted us to... He wanted the community to start um, dancing to, to Latin music. Mm. So... Um, I listened to Latin music a lot when I was young, so salsa, merengue, cha-cha, all of, but I never danced it um, until, I guess, maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, my wife and I, um, the wedding I was telling you about earlier, uh, it was going to be a wedding in, in Cuba, and the, the, the bride wanted the, a group of her best friends to do a sort of salsa routine Mm. so we took like eight weeks of salsa salsa dancing as a we were like i don't we were maybe 10 12 people i don't remember and that was the first time that i took a course and i was like um joan and i said you know what Uh, we should maybe try this um good intentions did not work out Um, (laughs) what went wrong i i don't i i don't know for that first time i don't know i think we laziness I will assume laziness. Mm. Um, after that, we tried um, a f- couple of years later, we tried to take private lessons. 
Um, we tried, I think we had two or three lessons and, and I remember some, something happened either one weekend, one of us was sick or, or something happened and there was an interruption in the courses mm. and it just dropped again. And then the third time, and, and at that time, um, I also, you know, I was, when we wanted to do it the second time, I looked around and, and I said, well, we could take courses here and there. And there was a place called, I think it was Biolab Productions or something. And we took a look and, and Joanne said, yeah, this is group. I don't want group stuff. I'd rather have it just you and me, nobody else. And I said, okay, fine. And, um, so there was that interruption and once again it stopped. And then I guess a year, a year and a half later, um, you know, when you, I don't have lo how long you've had a partner, um, but eventually there are discussions of, we don't do enough together. Hmm. And, um, and it's true because I was working a lot. Um, it's happening now actually for me. Right, <laughs> we don't because do of a children lot. Children and COVID, uh, you don't yeah, do a lot yeah, together. Yeah, 100%. Right, right. Yeah. So um, at one point, I, 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 I couldn't figure out what we could do together, and I said, you know, a few years ago we tried to go dancing. How about we try to go dancing, but instead of um, taking um, private lessons, let's go to a group. There'll be other people uh, we can meet, socialize, make friends. And maybe the dynamic of having a group will be more interesting. She was so, so, um, she wasn't that in, enthusiastic about it, but she said, okay, you know what? It'll get us out of the house. We'll do something together. Let's go. We went to this place called Baila Productions. I don't the, know anything about that. Place. Yeah, me either. Uh, yeah. The dude there was, um, <laughs> what a, Ellis, what a, what a, Ilyas, I think his name was, uh, th this guy, he, he, he thinks he's the funniest person in the world. He will he will make jokes about almost anything, and yeah. it's um, what a it, pretentious it what a pretentious <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, it was when when we the first course we took was with you, yeah, right, and the dynamics were very interesting and even the the first thing you said is normally in this group we uh, we exchange partners but you don't have to if you don't want to but i think you said in the first course i encourage everyone in this course to exchange partners it was to an see encouragement it, it was an obligation was it i it don't was. remember okay yeah, yeah i said everybody must change partners and then starting the second class you can you decide can stick together yeah and the only reason i did that is mm -hmm. just for people to know each other okay that's the only reason. Well, which is a good reason yeah. because after the after the course, when I discussed it with Joan, she said, "You know what? Yeah, I did like uh, changing partners and and dancing with other people. So we can do that going I forward." I like other men. I like <laughs> other men. That's 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 what she said. <laughs> but some pe and, some people are very resistant to that, and I, and and I and I understand why. But at the same time, I think it. Uh, it um, the the ch exchange partner it creates an atmosphere that you cannot create if you don't allow that because if let's say everybody dancing with each other creates silos mm -hmm. and the ambience is a bit different yes when everybody touched each other they have a kinship that you can't reproduce if you just say oh hello how are you what's your job what's your name mm -hmm. there's so so many steps but if I touch your hand and mm -hmm. you let me touch your hand I swear my discussion with you will be different and I won't know your name. I won't know your job. I won't know anything about you. But I will talk to you 
as if you're my friend. Yes, and it's really I, strange. I experienced that because there are some people that I, uh, I don't know, maybe two years after we started dancing, and I'm dancing with them in your class in the sessions at uh, here in the studio. Yeah, and two years later. I realize, oh, so that's your name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But that, that's crazy. And it's, it's crazy. It happens it, always. Yeah, and it also creates... Um, so, this is probably not the right word, but it also creates clicks. Because I realized that there were couples that I knew I am never going to dance with that woman, and that guy is never going to dance with another girl. And I never fraternized with those people never had a discussion never because they don't accept to dance with other people so and i don't know it's it's fine it's it's okay but i real i realized i realized how how big that gap was when in one of the sessions one of the um one of the couples that had for two two and a half years had always only danced together um in one session they decided to participate and i ended up in front of the girl and i was like are you dancing with me and and i was i was a bit uncomfortable because um i had not been used to to to, to dance so i was like okay but why today and and you're kind of tentative you don't want to dance the same way with her as you do mm. with other people because you've seen that over month weeks and months they don't want to make to, to dance with other people so it, it it does make it does give a different vibe um when you with the people who who don't mix with uh, with with that, others. that you mean outside the classes right no i mean inside the class in cla- inside well the- in well outside the classes i won't I won't address i won't mm. talk to them either and they, you know they they i've seen you, you I've, mean a couple a couple that doesn't want to dance yes, with each other? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. No. I mean a couple I've seen that also. A couple where they go in together, they never dance once together and they yeah. leave together. Yeah. I, I've seen that and, and that's great. Yeah. And that's great. But I'm talking about the people who come in together, who stay together during the whole dance and leave together and don't mingle with, with anyone else. Those those are the ones that I, I I realize that there's sort of a connection that does not never that never occurs with these mm. people they're, they're like in their separate world or 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 so or something but the fact that we're able to dance with multiple people you before covid now i i don't know how i don't know what's gonna happen i don't know what, <laughs> what what's going to happen but what it does is it makes it more enjoyable uh there's a lot of difference you you me as a dancer i have to be very closely attuned to the other person. And I realized that dancing with multiple people made me a better dancer than dancing with just one person. And the reason I, I'm saying that is that during COVID, I had one partner. Um, we danced all during COVID together and only recently did we start um, dancing again with other people. And I realized that when I dance with other people, it's not the same as it was a year and a half ago. I haven't stopped dancing, but I have stopped dancing with multiple partners and adjusting to the way other people dance. It could be the height. 
um, it could be um, their level. Maybe yeah, they have tricky. advanced in a lot. So to me, it requires a lot more adjustment. I find it more challenging now than it was um, a few years ago when when we were when we were dancing willy nilly with anybody. And in here was the packed. Good, good old days. The good old days when okay, there was you could not you could not put a pin. That's crazy. With, I, I wonder when is that going to be a, a thing again? Exactly the same. I wonder. So, I know uh, there's an underground scene right now. I'm aware that there's a lot of people dancing. But I wonder how, let's say, if I do an official event and I have another 100 or 120 people here, like when do you think it's going to happen? Indoors, I don't know. Um, I go to these these external events and they're not that underground because they're publicized on Facebook. They're on. Uh, but, but, they're, but usually they're, they're organized by, by people. Like there's no 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 brand that that goes. Like no no no, but there's a, but DJs for example, I won't name names because yeah. I don't know if I'm well, I'm not gonna get them in trouble. <laughs> but um, there are DJs who are known and people yeah. know that DJ DJ Jack. I know DJ Jack. But DJ and Jack DJ brings his gear. Bring DJ Black Black uh, Black DJ, DJ Black <laughs> brings his Jack. <laughs> DJ but, Jack okay. brings, so his, he brings his, his gear. gear. Yeah, he and, brings and, his, and but, he but as a DJ, event. but as a DJ. But who pays him? I don't know. I don't even know if he gets paid. All I know is DJ Jack has his gear and every day in this location, and it is publicized on Facebook, on, I think it's even maybe publicized on city, on, on city, um, in, in a city event calendar uh, because he's using city, um, city property yeah. so they I don't know what their arrangement is maybe he's getting paid by the city I, I don't know all I know is there's a lot of people there's a lot of dancing going on when I go I dance with two or three people I have my regular partner with whom I dance uh, often I have a, a, a few people that I have that I uh, develop close relationships mm. with during, uh, dur well, in your classes yeah. and all the dances um, um, that you that you organized, and those are pretty much the people I dance with. And even there's a lot of people that I used to dance with uh, before COVID. That even when they're at those events, uh, I don't necessarily dance with them, and I I haven't. I don't think it's because I'm afraid of, of of the bug because I'm fully vaccinated. I feel more secure than than I have. It's I, I don't know. It's it's just not the same. I and I don't know. Like you said, I don't know how long it's going to be to before things get back to normal, or even if they will get back to to normal. Mm. And, and until until there is no until there is no threat of another outbreak, I think people are going to be careful. Um, there's this D Delta variant, which is running rampant around the world here. It doesn't seem to be uh, making many inroads, which is, which is good. But the threat is still there. Mm. Um, will there be an Omega variant? Will there be others? Mm. May, maybe, who knows? But on, the vaccine does offer some protection. And from what I've seen, what I've read, it's that uh, the main benefit it provides is if you get sick, because you can catch it even if you've been fully vaccinated, you won't end up at the hospital. 
And that's why they're asking people to get vaccinated. Now, we can talk about that some other time, but um, the, the whole point of the vaccination is to stop the uh, stop the problems in the hospitals. Mm. Um, I've spoken to people who work in the in the hospitals, and they are they are tired. Um, they are overworked. They are stressed. There have been. I was listening to a report this week that there's a lot of women that are giving birth, but they don't have the personnel, so they have to. They have to figure out. They, they will provoke women. They will they will do things because they say this is when I have the personnel. I can't let it go naturally um, because I don't know if there'll be somebody here to take care of you. You're in the hospital now. We can provoke you and speed the process up because we've got the personnel to help you now. So there's a there's a lot yeah. of challenges that, that occurs with everything that's going on that. Um, I think that's the, I don't think, I, I know it's the reason for pushing people to, to, to get vaccinated. It's to, to be able to relieve a lot of pressure on the medical staff. But that in itself was accomplished, right? What, what was accomplished? Uh, uh, the amount of vaccination and the drop-off rate of COVID and the relief of the hospitals. So... I'm not sure because I went. I had to go to the to the um, emergency room a few weeks ago. I got there at noon. I got out at two a.m. That's regular hours. That is. <laughs> I I've been at the hot. I I've been. I've done five. I've done six hours, which I consider about normal. Fourteen hours, and there were people in there before me who left after me. But I was, ex I was explained to me uh, something by a doctor. Mm -hmm. He said to me, because a lot of times the argument was that the hospitals are overflowing and everybody would say, or m some people that were, that were noticing, they're saying, well, there's always the case. We're always jam-packed at hospitals. And, uh, and, I, and that's what I said to, to my friend. And he said, well, there's a slight difference. He said to me, there's two kinds of beds. There's critical care beds mm -hmm. and there's normal beds. And the normal beds, it was always an issue in Quebec, mm -hmm. right? But critical beds were never overflowing. And right now, or a couple of months back, he said to me, well, that's, we're in a moment where we're afraid that the critical beds would be full. And mm -hmm. if that happens, we're screwed. We're, we're in big trouble. So th that part, I, need, I needed that information because I always was hearing, well, we always had problems with the emergencies, which is true. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that specific problem was important to outline so we don't talk, you know, caca shit or bullshit, right? Or mm -hmm. we don't say things out of our heads without having the information. But there was also, a, um, and I'm trying... In my radio show, I want to talk to some people about what happened behind the scenes in the hospitals, but they're they're very skittish um, because it can become politicized. Uh, so Not only that, they can't talk. They, they can't talk and criticize their 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 employer. Yeah, it's same so. thing with my wife, who's a teacher. It was yeah, you can't, it was it was hell. I can talk. <laughs> as long as they don't know no, who your no, no, who your it, wife it, is, yeah, exactly. It's a, it was it was it was completely bonkers. The amount of stress that they put on the directors to manage this thing 
was completely nuts. Well, we had a nuts. lot of your a lot of your students are teachers, yeah. And I've spoken to a lot of them and asking them how did it go and and the stories they were telling me is like, you know what, Laura, um, we're Friday. I don't know if I'm going to be in class Monday morning, and if I'm not in class Monday morning, I have to figure out over the weekend how I'm going to set up for Monday because I'm not yeah. ready for so and, and it was it was crazy. And they managed they still managed to get out of the uh, of of the school year and yeah. I, you know hats off to the teachers yeah, the, the, the way the way they handled the kids um, and even handled themselves to be able to go through that whole year and not burn out with everything that was going on. I've spoken to to some of them. They are very, very tired. 100%. But they still managed to hold on to the kids as best they could with all with all the, the rules that are changing from one week to the next yeah. and so on. So so just for, you know, just for that, just to get children to have um uh, a, a normal life um something that they can uh, that they can predict you know getting out of this situation is is going to be beneficial just for that i i th- i thought i thought a lot about the teachers i thought about the 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 kids there's mm-hmm. something that 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 always um boggled me in some instances there is some kids and depends on what age bracket will have carry a heavier burden of covid meaning that if you take for example a teen right yeah. for 12 to 14 years old who's not doing very well at school okay or uh, has add or adhd whatever has has mm-hmm. issues and then you take him and you put him on a zoom conference call for days and then you tell him come on you can do it and he's alone and he's looking at the screen And I'm thinking, man, that must be the worst possible time in school that you can have. And I would drop off. Well, they, they drop off. They may not drop off physically, drop but they, they, they may not drop out physically, but mentally, yeah, they're, Good night. they're gone. And a, a, lot of the, a lot of the teenagers, um, their life revolves around meeting friends and seeing friends. Yeah. So that's a whole year of not being able to see friends, not being able to build... Uh, those relationships mm. um, there have been a there has been a lot of um, mental issues with uh, with the teenagers because the their social life is was completely gone it's turned into uh, chatting and and zoom calls but that's it's not the same as being side by side and yeah 100% and the also the, the, there was an interesting uh, thing I, I read about uh, babies seeing a lot of peoples in masks and not be able to have the full aspect of visual cues yeah. to to modulate their own reactions yeah and I'm thinking man that's crazy one of my friends has a dog mm-hmm. that's it that's it <laughs> we're talking kids the dogs so it, you, you'll understand the parallel so she has a dog mm-hmm. but she, it's a very a young dog So she, she was very careful about COVID, so she stayed in house a lot with her dog. But her dog did not see a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So when we started to deconfine and see a lot of people, the dog would lose it when he sees a person. Like lose it like if he saw an alien. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that's a perfect example of social behavior that got modulated or, or psychological behavior because of confinement. The dog, if he was around people all the time, Mm. No biggie. But yeah. now a new person introduced in the environment, but the dog is older. So it's going to take him a little more time to get used to that to that 
person or that behavior. And I thought, man, humans are the same. We are. Man, and I thought, what kind of trauma? Like, me, I don't think I was traumatized. I hope not. But I thought in, in a certain age, I think it's critical. And what kind of things can we done be done to lessen the amount of, let's call it PTSD? Because you said it about dancing. We're not sure. Like I'm dancing with two people. I'm already fully vaccinated, but I'm not sure if I want to dance with everybody else. Mm. And I don't know when that's going to happen. Mm. And that I'm curious about. I really want to know when, what makes somebody jump the fence, you know? I I don't know. Maybe it'll be. Maybe it'll, I'm going dancing tonight. Maybe it'll happen to. I I did don't anybody know. grab your hand? It's like you want to dance with me. That you nobody asked know? me to dance. Not yet. No. It's a, it's the, still it's still a man's game. Where yeah, but the, wherever have, the man decides. Do you have uh, the face where ask, uh, when you don't dance, you cross your arms and you don't look down and like nobody's gonna ask me? Or no. You're welcoming everybody like this. Come out. Come and get me. Well, so um, <laughs> the last time I I went dancing, I danced with three people. Yeah. So I dance with one, bring her to sit down, yeah. take the hand of another one. But it's the three people. That I'm, I'm, I was mm. rotating between three people, whereas when we used to do this last year, um, I would dance with one person and another and another and another. And, mm. and I, I used to have this rule, and I wrote it on, uh, on your site, was when I get in, um, I don't dance more than two dances in a row with the same person. I will ask at least one person that I've never danced with to dance with me. And my third rule was, if somebody asks me to dance, I never say no. Um, some of those rules are kind of out the door for now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break. We're, we're going to take a break. I, 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 I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens this fall. I'm also a member of a choir. And... You know, the, these rules are problematic because of when you're singing as, as a choir, you need to be close to other people to feel the sound, yeah. uh, to feel the vibrations when you're singing. And if you're not sure what you're singing, you can listen to others and, and adjust. And, and singing in a choir is, it gives you a particular um, physical feeling when you're, like we, we used to be, I don't know, at one point, we were 95 people. Uh, now we're closer to 45, 50. What's um, the name of the choir? Uh, Les Enchanteurs. Okay. Um, uh, à Vaudreuil. Um, and puis d'ailleurs, uh, if somebody's listening and you're in the Vaudreuil area, we're, take, we're doing um, auditions uh, the week of the 23rd of August. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when, we, when we were singing last year, um, because of the rules, we had to wear a mask. So oh they, man! No, but they that made they made special masks. Oh yeah, for, yeah, um, with holes. <laughs> no, not holes. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't bring it with me. Big hole here, so people no, can hear you. But it looks like a a, a, a duck. A duck. <laughs> it, it looks like a duck beak. Big, so that way, yes, the part. So, <laughs> so everybody looked like Daffy Duck. Everybody looked like Got Daffy it. or Donald. Some looked yeah, yeah. more like Donald than Daffy. But yeah. the the advantage. So there's 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 multiple advantages. Mm. One of them is that your voice projects a bit. Yeah. It gets muffled when it reaches the end of the mask, but it does project a bit instead of the yeah, 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 yeah. especially Which, when you breathe in. It's a problem. And yeah. that's the other thing. It's yeah. easier to breathe with Got that it. mask, but it muffles the sound. Mm. Um, it, it and 
also you had to be at least two meters away from other people so you could not feel the vibration of the so not only was the mask yeah. preventing the voice from um Um, from resonating yeah. um, the fact that you could not be close to, uh, to to other people there's a physical there's a physical perception when you're singing that that was kind of lost mm. um, we're hoping that in the fall some of these regulations fall so that people can start being closer when yeah, they're yeah, singing yeah, yeah. because that's the whole reason yeah. that you're singing in a choir instead of singing in a band where the drummer's in the back the guitarist on the right bassist on the left <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and the singer in the center doing so it's interesting that you say that because i i was a choir singer too for a while were you yeah i can't remember the name of the choir but it was a very cool experience yeah very uh, very gospely ah. like hey praise the lord and we're <laughs> tapping our hands we're at the stop ah uh, what i stopped i think uh, i i can't remember why but i, rem I remember oh yeah i remember why because the guy was screaming at his at his singers right so i remember this very clearly because he was very let's call it despotic like it was like he was like my this is the way, way, the, my highway. way the highway and i was new i was like a tenor i i didn't know how to read music so i learned all the the, the the parts by ear and i remember like exactly what you said the feeling of hearing the people sing next to me that was such a cool mm -hmm. feeling besides the shows like i really enjoyed singing a tune and feeling all the the notes and people and trying for dear life to hold on to my part yes it's hard huh well tenor is very hard it's, because it's, tenor it's you're not you're not following the melody i'm bass yeah, so great. i follow the melody sopranos follow the melody but altos and tenors do not follow the melody you so have to hold on for dear tougher. life and 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 then you're trying to enjoy everybody's singing so but mm -hmm. you have to hold to your part yeah and th that was a very good challenge but i remember the guy was was really he was mad all the time so so <laughs> I, i i didn't take it personally at all mm -hmm. but you know after two i don't know maybe a month or two uh you know it was kind of like every time we would go to practice he was not happy at one point in time i was like here i'm, I'm not in this life to 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 be yeah. pushed around or whenever even if i didn't take it personally so i went and talked to the guy and i said listen i just want to tell you uh, i love what you do blah 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 blah, blah but i don't like to be spoken that way And he was very surprised. And he was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're screaming at us. He goes, I don't like to be screamed at. He goes, yeah, but you have to understand it's very hard to lead people. And these people are not on point sometimes. It's, it's hard to get through them. And he goes, no, 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 no. I understand that it's a very hard job that you do. It's very hard. I understand. I don't want to do your job. It's a pain in the butt. You have to organize. And blah, 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 blah. I just want to tell you, I just don't like to be screamed at. And you look at me, he goes, okay. Then the next day, we went to the practice. He starts screaming. I got up and left. Yeah, yeah I have no choice. Right? No, you're not. It's here. A, you stay there. You're being yelled at. You you talk to the guy like a mano to mano. Mm -hmm. Listen, I appreciate what you do, but don't don't scream at me or in my direction. Like he was screaming at everybody. I said, yeah, it's nothing personal. He goes, I understand. But I can't be in an environment <laughs> where people are screaming at me. I get aggressive, you know? And, and, and my reaction is, is not uh, peace and love. Like yeah, you're it's, talking it's, to me like uh, you're stressing me out. I'm already a newbie at, at this. Like you have to, you have, you, a you, have to you have to 
you know, pet me, it's okay, you're doing fine. Mm-hmm. And but everybody else was really cool. I I, I really enjoyed that experience. I, I I sang at La Toyu. It was a great show. Mm-hmm. I, I I I just remember the the reverber, uh, reverberation of everybody's like yeah. the the nice feeling of group community. And when we sang and we pulled a song and we're belching those notes and the strength of the choir. Ah, I if love it. um it's. It's something that is recommended for people who feel down, who feel depressed, oh. is to go in a choir My and man. and sing. I, Singing is. I I cannot agree with you more. Yeah. If you're if you're feeling down, if you're if you're if you don't know what to do, is you know just find a choir where they yeah. they sing the type of music that you want to sing, and just go be part of the choir and just taking the energy amen. of the people singing around praise you. the lord praise the lord praise the lord praise. amen <laughs> hallelujah it's it's but really you're, you're exactly right and and singing is quite hard to do when you're depressed so if you force yourself you can lift off some form of depressions so i'm, very, I'm so, very careful <laughs> well well i i will speak from personal yeah. experience there was a year some time the when i when i joined this group mm. les enchanteurs yeah Um, it was a very rough summer. I had lost uh, my main client um, at the time. I was I was programming, and I don't know what else I was doing. Anyway, I was I lost that. I couldn't get another job. It was summer. We wanted to do stuff. We couldn't do anything. And anyway, I was down in the dumps, uh, seeing a psychologist on meds and and everything because I was so down. And then was it before salsa or no? <laughs> No, just to put it in the timeline. No, there was 10, 10. It was a late 2000s. Okay. Oh, it was uh, when the, we had the financial crash around okay. 2008, 2009. It. So it was way before Salsa. Got it. Um, and I don't know how I found this choir thing. I don't remember how I fell upon it, but they said our choir is um, uh, singing and dancing. So, so, cool. so they and they had at the time they had very um, intricate choreographies. Um, so and we and when we sang, we sang. So I went there. I think I joined in September, and I did something that you're not supposed to do ever. Is um, at one point I just kicked the meds. I said I don't need this anymore. Did This, you have any side effects by doing that? I don't think so. Wow. But, but I hadn't been on, I was on them for like maybe three, four months. So I don't think uh, maybe oh, it but was still, too soon. Oh, but soon. still, no, 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 no. You st- still, what, what, how, I want to, you decided cold turkey. Cold turkey. I was singing yeah. and after three or four weeks of singing in the choir, I realized I was happy. I did not need the meds anymore. I kicked them off, and It's and when cool I story. and when I did that, I, I know my my wife told me you're not supposed to do that, and everybody around me said you're yeah. not supposed. To, but I said I don't need them anymore. Mm. I found something that makes me happy. Every Wednesday, I go to sing for two hours, and I dance on weekends with them. Um, it makes me feel good. The, the the vibrations of the other people, their energy, uh, their happiness, you feel it in the singing. And I've ne- even even in dancing, I've not felt that. Singing is something that is very particular, yeah. and singing in a choir is is even better for that. And that was my experience. Uh, 
five six weeks of singing in a choir i just kicked the meds and i, I think no i think def definitely that saves you you're 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 depressed that's uh something somebody should try at oh, least yeah. at least try at because, least try. because because uh it, it, to 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 even hear that once you you hit that spot you kick off the meds it's actually quite unbelievable because it's not co a common way to to no. go to do things and to realize that you were happy by complete like just an activity like just singing it's is is amazing well you know when you're depressed one of the things you don't want to do is be around other people exactly um and i think that The singing helped a lot, but also the fact that I was getting out of the house and, and doing something that... And singing also, you cannot sing and think about your job and think about your life and think about everything else that's wrong, or you can't, you won't be able to sing. Your voice won't come out. You'll be constricted. You won't be able to breathe mm. properly. So when you do that two hours of singing, it's it's two hours of not worrying about anything else except getting your notes right and many of these choirs don't even re don't even need you to know how to read music they'll tell you okay we'll give you the basics of when this goes up it means you're gonna go up and when it goes down you're gonna go down so mm. and over time at some point you you start being able to understand music better but you don't necessarily need to read and like you you and us that's what it was because we were dancing and and when i say dancing it's not just dancing oh lord and 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 yeah, clap the hands oh no it's choreographies and turning and walking up steps and it was really intricate so that's you okay. had no choice but to know everything by heart and then mm. and then what help what helps some people um think of it of that and say that is too much but what happens is the movements get synchronized with the singing so the movements uh, become your 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 hint okay this is what i'm supposed to sing this is what i'm supposed to sing so it, it really is a great experience and if, if you, you have the opportunity I yes i 100 recommend that even if even if you think you're not a good singer even you try it give it a try our director said that he had one when he was or or was it gregory charles One of the two had explained that they were singing in a choir and the guy beside them was off key, but I mean off key for years until one day, boom, he got it and he became one of the best singers. But it took a lot of time mm. uh, for that person to finally be able to sing on key. So you, you need, you can't have a director like yours who's yelling at people when, That's it. no, it's, it's encouragement. It's encouragement, yeah. encouragement. If you want to yeah. sing your heart out, you, you can't uh, use the whip. No. Yeah, people mm -hmm. are going to be scared, constricted. Uh, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Mm. It, 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 was, it was sad because I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Maybe right. one day I get back into That's, it. It's not too late. It's just a question of time. <laughs> I can't forget. I do so many things. I have so many activities. Um, I wanted to uh, touch rapidly. Uh, you, you mentioned about uh, COVID changed your perspective on a professional level. Mm -hmm. uh, during this time, if uh, something changed in you during that period of confinement and COVID, <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> please um so uh i mentioned my wife a lot and she passed away during covid she didn't die of covid she had cancer uh, for six and a half years mm -hmm. and i suspect that uh sometime last summer she ca caught a bug 
and the bug killed her. We don't know what it was, um, but I know the last few weeks before she passed away, we went a couple of times in the hospital. Um, They gave her antibiotics and she got better with the antibiotics. But as soon as the antibiotics stopped, her condition worsened. So um, last year, it's going to be, uh, we're almost uh, one year off um, at the end of, of August. And I think a lot of my cynicism about life and people in general disappeared. Um, when you lose someone you love, because we, we were together for 26, we're in 2021, so this year would have been our 25th wedding anniversary. So um, 20, 26 years we were together. We were together two years before we got married. And when you lose uh, someone like that at such a young age, you sort of, I sort of realized that, yeah, there's, I don't know when my last day is. It could be tomorrow, could be today, could be in 20 years. I, I don't know. So I don't have the, I don't have the time, the patience anymore to be doing stuff I don't like, um, to be unhappy, um, to criticize people, to... Um, um, to be, um, uh, how do you say it? Um, when you, when you give those, uh, underhanded compliments there, um, passive aggressive. Um, and I, I, I did have some of that in me and a lot of that cynicism has disappeared. Now I'm focused a lot on doing something I love in life, um, which is the writing. Um, it's not always easy. Um, at time it's at times it's very tough, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm satisfied and I'm happy with the uh, with, with the life I'm living, and a lot I'm I'm also paying more attention to other people and I'm less guarded. Um, I didn't used to share a lot about how I felt and um, what I did and. Now I'm more open. I'm more willing. So if somebody asks me a question about myself, I I tend not to uh, not to be as guarded. Um, I still have this reflex when somebody's asking me a que- when somebody asks me a question and I suspect <laughs> that there's <laughs> there's a hidden agenda. I will always I'll always answer with a question uh, to make sure that. Um, when I'm answering the question, I'm really answering what they're looking for um, rather than just uh, giving an answer uh, willy-nilly. But I do that less now than I used to. I'm more, I'm more forthcoming. I'm, more, I'm willing to be more um, vulnerable than I have in the past. Um, <clears throat> How long it's gonna last? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the effect. Maybe it's part of the way that I'm dealing with um, uh, the loss of my wife. Uh, maybe it's going to be permanent. I I don't know yet. I know that I'm in a situation where I'm still wearing my my wedding ring, and every once in a while I look at it and I say, "Is it time to take it off?" Yeah, not yet. And mm. I I don't know when the wedding ring will come off but i know that as long as the wedding ring is the wedding ring is there um although i can be available physically uh and mentally uh emotionally 
I I don't think I can be available for another person in my in my life. I I I just don't have that capacity right now. And and it always comes back to the same thing. I think of the last few months uh that I spent uh with Rowan and then I think to myself, if I meet someone and that person goes through the same situation, will I be able to stand by her side? The answer is no. I can't. I, I can't I can't go through this again. And until um, until I'm able, because th- th- there's also, um, to me, having a, a, a relationship with someone, so having a, a partner in life, there's, it has, to, you have to be all in. And I can't see myself tell someone, yeah, we're together, but now that you're sick, I'm out. I can't, I can't see myself do that. So, um, and I and I'm very upfront about it. And I've uh, I, I I've even told my kids um, when they ask me, "Well, do you have someone? Are you gonna have someone?" I said, "As long as you see the string on my finger, there is no room for for someone else." And I I don't I don't know if there ever will. I I really don't know. Maybe yes. Maybe no. There's lots of stories of men or women who lost somebody they they really loved, and um, eventually they thought it was over and eventually they found someone and they were able to live a great life together so maybe it'll happen but maybe it won't i i don't know i'm not trying to i'm not trying to push things i'm not trying to force anything it's you know this what you see is what you get Mm. there's not there's and i i can't give to anyone what i gave to my wife over the past 26 years I can understand. Um, for me, I, I met your wife. Um, um, very sweet person for the, mm-hmm. the, the few conversations I had with her. So I don't know her at all, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember you being very discreet about what everything was happening. Because I knew very late that uh, she, she was sick and she, she had cancer. I don't know how I learned it, but I was very surprised on how uh, discreet you made it. Because you said always, oh, she can't come, or she doesn't feel well. But we never went further than that. Mm. And I was very surprised and uh, felt for you. But um, I didn't know you that back then as we know each other now. Mm. And uh, I can't imagine what it is like to go through a very long period of sickness, let alone just a sickness right and so my heart goes out to you that's the only thing i can say i have no i i can't pretend that i understand (laughs) (laughs) you know it's um a lot of what i'm seeing is after the fact it's after reflecting after you know when when she's gone and you go to bed at night and you're alone and you know we have a queen-size bed on her side i have never slept on the side where she used to sleep, mm-hmm. I have I've kept on. So there's a there's a, there's a kink. A, a kink <laughs> there's a kink in the mattress <laughs> on my side, and and there's a little hump <laughs> between mm. the two. And I have never been able to sleep on 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 the other side. That's her. It's her side of the bed, and 
you don't realize um, how much how much of uh, and I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm going to say um, but when you have someone who is very ill in your life there is a weight that you're carrying around and you don't realize it and I'll, I'll take a I'll take a very bad example and I know this is a very bad example and I'm okay with it um, if you're overweight and you've been overweight for a long time you don't realize the stress it puts on you until you lose that weight and you realize that you can walk around and you can do things that you weren't able to do before but you don't realize that because you're in it and that's it's similar to what happened to me is I Joanne was sick for um, so there was a cancer but even before that she had another disease that I think she's probably in the medical books because the med the doctors had never seen something like that and she even told me that previous disease that I had that scared me more than cancer because I did not understand it nobody understood it cancer I understood um, I knew she knew that it was a disease that would eventually um, kill her because um, the form of cancer she had was untreatable well it was un until last year it was untreatable I'm assuming at some some point they'll find a way to treat it but they had told us um, maybe two years in they when we asked um, the doctor said okay you, you didn't ask before so I didn't tell you but what you have we have no cure all we can do is control it and the day we lose control that's it that we won't be able to recover and and that's pretty much how it worked out um, but after she passed away so there was a there was a since it was during COVID there was a protract uh, a longer period before the mm -hmm. uh, cremation and, and stuff like that but af afterwards uh, it's after that that I realized um, now I make decisions uh, without having a second thought, uh, can Joan do this? Can she participate? What is even when I went dancing? You know, I, I, I often went, as you said, I often went dancing alone. A lot of times I went dancing with a bit of a guilty feeling because I, but I, I couldn't stay in the house all that. I couldn't just work, come home, watch TV, go to sleep. And do it again. Mm. I had to get out, get out of the house. And sometimes I went dancing. And I, as I was in the car driving to go to the function, I would have that guilty feeling of I'm abandoning her. I'm leaving her behind. But I knew that the next day, I would be better because the dancing would allow me to express myself, to have fun, have and and not for about two three hours, not have all of that. Um, in my head and it's really after she passed away that I realized that yeah there's a there's a big weight off my shoulders partly because I know she's not suffering anymore um, I know that whatever I do I'm not hurting her um, emotionally psychologically never physically um, how, mu how much time did it get you to 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 embrace that what you just described that i c c that you're you're able to take your the decisions without having her i'd say um 
don't know, maybe two, three months before I started saying, you know what, you can make that this, because the other aspect is my kids, right? I have kids, my kids live, still live with me, even mm. though they're, they're all adults. Um, I also had for a period of time, oh, maybe more than three, four months, I also had that, that if I decided to go out and do whatever, um, I would also have in the back of my mind, okay, will they be okay? Um, will they? And, and the, the first few months um, I had, especially with my youngest, um, I How had... How old is he? She, she's uh, 18. 18. Uh, yeah, she's going to be... In, uh, 19, when was she 20? No, she's going to be 19. Okay. I have to do the math. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the first few weeks after Joan passed away, um, I, I realized that she was putting a lot of stress on herself. Mm. And every time she would have an exam at school, um, she would cry. She would uh, say, I miss mom. I wish I could see mom. And... And then at some point I realized, you know what, this is, yes, there's the emotional part, but I think it's stress. And then I, I spoke with her and I said, okay, which one of your courses is giving you the most trouble? And she told me, I said, okay, you're going to remove that from your schedule. Let's take it off. Uh, talk to your counselor. Take it off your schedule. Um, she was... She was uh, a bit anxious at doing that because she's a perfectionist and she, uh, <laughs> and it's probably my fault partly because um, <laughs> 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 whenever she, when, as a joke, um, and, and it came from my parents and at the time I don't think it was a joke. If um, she comes home with 96, I would ask as a joke, well, why didn't you get 98? <laughs> I got that too in my family. You got that too in your family. So um, yeah, and you got a performance freaks that you know when they uh, they don't do any performance they feel bad. Yeah. Know? So yeah, no, and uh, I and I think that those jokes m must have worked their way into her psyche. Mm. And when I'm the one who said no, 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 you're gonna take some courses out, uh, you're gonna reduce your level of stress, and you're gonna take more time to finish your studies. doesn't matter if it takes a year or two more. It doesn't matter. Just And the day we did that, the stress disappeared and I, I never, I don't think she ever made the comment again. I think now she's at peace. Um, but I, I think you have, you, what, I, what I found is when in a situation like this, you have to proactively remove pieces of your life that are causing stress and that are exacerbating a situation. In her case, it was the studies. Um, in my case, it was um, the travel and, and going to an office every day to work. Um, if I was still, if I had kept my work as a project manager and I was still um, doing two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening, I don't think we would be here talking. I would probably be at home depressed. Um, mm. it, it, it allowed me to see that um, Joanne's passing allowed me to see that um, I'm allowed to be happy I'm allowed to enjoy uh, what I do a lot of what I did and a lot of what I did I did for the family and specifically Joanne so there are um, the job I took the, the job I had as a project manager was paid very well I won't lie it paid very well and I kept it 
a lot of the reason I kept a job was for that because I had to be able to, you know, there's medical bills, there's this bill, there's that bill. And I also wanted to put some money aside so that once in a while we can get out of the country and she can see something other than uh, the four walls of, mm. uh, of the house. So I was willing to make that sacrifice uh, for her. Um, for me, it was, it's like I, as the quote unquote, I considered myself the breadwinner and I said, look, you're, that's your responsibility. You've got a wife, you've got kids, you just do what you have to do. And eventually you, you'll be able to do what you want, but right now you have to do what you have to do. And I, I worked like that for a number of years, but I think I, I got very close to a burnout at, at the end. So mm. this, this COVID stop uh, came at the right time for me. Uh, but, it, but like I said, it, it made me realize that, you know, I can't, spend, I can't spend all my days unhappy and try to find a little happiness on the weekends and then start over. I have to, you have to be happy as much as you can, yeah, 100%. as often as you can. And if it means... Uh, doing something that is uh, that is unusual because that's what you love that what that's what makes you happy then do something that's that's unusual but you have to be able to to integrate happiness as part of your life it can't it can't be a byproduct it has to be the product I cannot agree with you more mm -hmm. I always think and say to people that want to hear mental health should be your top priority not yeah. your career Sadly, not even your family. Because if your mental health is off the wall, your family's not going to be happy. <laughs> no, they're, go they're you know? going to suffer. So, so it has to be priority number one. If yeah. it means that you get less money, so be it. So be it. So because or else that's something I, I understood and it takes a lot of work and concentration basically just to make sure you don't veer off that, that mission. <laughs> and then And then making others feel the same way like just helping others to feel better and giving them tricks that work for you and here you can try this and in small conversations with people that that are going through tough times i'm all about about that i'm all about that all the time all the time you see i've started doing that more often um for the past year and a half or maybe a little bit pre-covid um uh, before that i used to not say too much because I felt like you know everything and uh, you're you're like uh, schooling people but I realized no, you're not schooling people you're not telling them what to do you're just sharing your experience yeah. in the hopes that it makes things better 100%. for them yeah. um, but sometimes I would not say anything because I I felt like yeah I'm sort of giving them a lesson in life and how they should live their life and yeah no that's not your position shut up but but I think there's there's a difference like I I can understand the the aspect where if if I was you I would do that which always doesn't make sense mm -hmm. right because you're not them yeah. and 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 sometimes I I can understand also that the solution and the problem cannot be in the same area at the same time yeah. so if they're going through a problem they're let's just say as smart as you are, they're not seeing the solution or they're not willing to do the things that would bring them to the solution or they're not willing to do the uncomfortable conversation that might lift them up out of that. Many reasons why there is. Maybe they cycle through that problem many times and they hit the brick wall and they cycle, they cycle. And at one point they wake up, so maybe I should do that. Maybe they go see a therapist, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
I'm the first one to say, go see a therapist. Yeah. Like, you take my advice, go see a therapist, please. I see a therapist. I have no, it's not the taboo for me. I think everybody should have a good therapist at some point in their lives. That's mm -hmm. number one. The second thing is, it's always about intent for me, is what's my intent? If my intent is to help you and to make you feel good, if I know that, I can say whatever to you. Mm. I wouldn't hold back. Now, if you're not receptive, I will understand, okay, he's not receptive, I'll back off. But what I say is in good intent. But now, if my intent is to, I'm mad at you, and I want it to, rah, 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 then, or I want to win, then, <laughs> then, then, win, then I shut up. Then yeah. I shut up. But I, I, I try to double check that before I speak with somebody in sensitive situations. But when, when I speak to friends and stuff like that, I, I like to, to welcome their emotions. Like I really do. Like I, I really think that that's the most important part of the conversation. If they're going through a tough time, I try to find ways to welcome their emotions and not judge and try to get them faster to that situation so that we can share a more meaningful moment. If, If it was just like a brain conversation, I'm usually not that interested. But when somebody shares a part of them, I like you did before and just now, I, I, I feel privileged because what just happened? I don't know. I hear the, a bleep. Battery? It's still going on <laughs> at a really key moment. No, I just hear bloop. No, it's not on battery. Maybe it, you know, it stops where when it hits like those four gig Uh, like maybe. it just starts maybe it lets me know so I was just I was just saying that I, I feel privileged that the person shares that aspect that deep aspect of, of them and I just take it as is mm. I just feel that we have a privileged moment I, I'm I, she, she's in she has enough confidence in me that I won't judge them and I won't do anything bad with what she shares right mm. So that those moments in friendship and in, in relationships, I cherish and I try to recreate. So sometimes I notice that I might feel somebody uncomfortable because I go there really fast. <laughs> so that I'm just careful. But in a sense where what where is important for mental health is because I do things from a standpoint where I want to feel good and want the person to feel good. So whatever I say, usually if I feel bad about something or some person did something to me and stuff like that I intervene I go see that person and I talk to them and they're always surprised because apparently it's not a common thing to go talk to people it isn't so, so I talk to them and I tell them how I feel mm. and then they're like looking at me like uh, something like an alien but usually the result of it I can honestly say 95% of the time if not 100% of the time is a better connection with that person and I feel better afterwards even if the whole process of going through That conversation was scary, hard, uncomfortable, but the result, because I'm doing it to liberate, mm -hmm. I'm not doing it to destroy, mm. right? So I think the intention is very important for mental health. Why are you doing it? Like you're doing it to, to kill, you know? You're doing <laughs> it to make you feel better, to ele elevate yourself, to, to put down the person, to make them, like you said, win. You want to mm -hmm. win, mm -hmm. you're done. And I'm guilty of it. So that's why I kind of learned to recognize it in me, how how uh, I lacked uh, humbleness, you know. <laughs> so by recognize it, at least I can start to 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 see for what it is, you know, just something not necessary. So then I I practiced, and that's something that's very interesting because we can talk psychology, but I practiced telling how I feel to people, 
and mm. at any kind of stages, meaning a client sometimes even, a very good friend, my mother, you know, it's like the different, different stages of closeness yeah. and every one of them had challenges. But right now I, I find it extremely easy. Mm. I do it like, like this, take the phone, I call, hey, you know, you said something, we want to talk it through, I didn't feel really good when you say, people are surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, it's not something that's common. We tend, when, and you know, you're explaining that and, and I was going to ask you if you do that with everyone and you, what I'm hearing is that you seem to do it with almost everyone. Yes. I, I do it with people who are important to me um, or, but I won't, if somebody is, if I don't, if I don't consider someone important to me, um, I won't discuss it. And I'll give you a concrete example. <laughs> Somebody listening might even know what I'm talking about, but doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> Pre-COVID, um, uh, like I said, I go to women, I ask them to dance, and I don't really care. I say, you're sitting, you feel look like you want to dance, I'll ask you to dance. And there's one person that I remember, I don't remember where it was. I don't think it was at a bi-left function. I think maybe it was in a club. I don't remember. But the person was there, not like close to me. We were in a group and she was just standing there and tapping her foot and the music was playing. So I said, well, she looks like she wants to dance. Let me ask her to dance. And it's someone I see semi-regularly. And when I asked her to dance, she looked at me and went, okay. Hey. Hey, Oof. I have never, what a killer, ever asked her to dance, but I'm not going to discuss it with her either Yeah, because it's not, it's not that important to me. Even if I see her in, um, if I see her in, in, uh, at a dance function, I won't ask her to dance and, and that's it. I'm, I'm cool with it. I, and I don't see the point in clarifying that because, but, the, but here's the thing. I think mm -hmm. you're cool. You're cool with that. And because you're cool with that. Mm -hmm. So there's no issue. There's no lingering thoughts. You're just like, okay, say so it wasn't, it wasn't a fun experience. Um, I think there, there is, there is moments where sometimes, uh, you might want to talk about it with somebody else just to vent or liberate yourself from that. In some instances, it could be uh, seen as drawing a line in the sand, like a limit. Like it, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be necessarily just how you feel. Sometimes you have to say to a client something, that's gonna make you feel not liked at that moment. Mm -hmm. You see, if some, if I am going for love all the time, and the moment where the tough conversation says no, that doesn't work here, and I have to look somebody in the eye and tell them, that maybe I'm not ready to do at that moment because I feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and that I have to realize, oh shit, that was it, I, I didn't catch it, and then mm -hmm. next time I know, okay, that's what I'm gonna have to say, or sometimes, sometimes. The trick here, there's something that I wasn't doing before, is to double check with the, uh, somebody you love. So some, a good friend, a wife, somebody you love. You say, listen, I'm going through this situation. Do you think it's worth it that I talk to that person? Because right now I'm not very sure. It's like when you're on the edge between an important person and somebody you don't give a rat's. <laughs> so, so, so then you're thinking, okay, so if I talk to them, is it we're not going to say maybe, ah, oh, come on, you're just... Don't, don't break a sweat. You're just mauling in your head. Don't worry about it. Mm. And I go, you sure? And I go, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. And I go, okay. And then I, I go through something else because I trust her opinion. Okay. To make sure that I'm not always 
catastrophizing everything and <laughs> you know putting everything dramatic and I have to talk to everybody and see. So it's it's an interesting balance it and, an, and it's an experiment, an ongoing experiment that has only positive repercussions because it's done from a standpoint of curiosity and care. Mm. Like if I tell you information about me, even if it's not fun, I'm giving you information about stuff I don't like that you do that affects me. So <laughs> it, it's a plus for you because yeah. I, I want you to be careful. Because listen, I don't like this thing. Like today, there's a situation that happened and somebody shared that situation about a joke somebody made at them and he, they, they literally tell me, well, he said that and I really didn't like it, but I don't know how to say it to him. And I go, just go and tell him you don't like these kind of jokes. Mm -hmm. Don't joke about this subject with me. I'm tell him f straight up. I'm sensitive about that and be very serious. But that's just weird, right? <laughs> so, no, it, it is. Ima imagine, but imagine how much less conflict we'll have in relationships if everybody would do it. Like everybody would give that kind of attention to their relationships. How less, less conflict because, because we want to win and because we want to be right. Those are two killers because mm. we want to hold on to those as much as, as long as we can. But makes us feel like shit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We want to win. The other person is wrong, and then and then there's the other one. The one I'm not gonna say it You're because because and then every time you see that person, you're not well, but. You're kind of almost throwing daggers at her, but you're not well. But but you choose to not say it because you want to keep hating the person. Because if you go there and talk to her, you level each other out. You go talk to her and goes listen. Nah, nah, nah. Then you're leveling, like you're lowering yourself to her. Oh no, or mm -hmm. to him. So all these kind of things. I, I'm very passionate about this, like more than than salsa. <laughs> <laughs> so I just love it because they're, they're a source of, of of creativity, of art, of of this is this is for me like a self discovery. It's like love is through others. It's not it's not something that I can meditate on. It's mm -hmm. like it's into the relationship. It's like connecting with people, connecting with students, seeing what's wrong with that student, attending that problem first. You know, not mm -hmm. the technique. Technique is just a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So all these aspects are part of my kind of way of operating my daily life i try to install that in my children like the same kind of mentality what do you want to you're fighting for what like you want to continue fighting and you want to talk talk to each other properly like tell you how he makes you feel hey, tell me what do you don't like about what she's doing mm -hmm. go let's let's talk it through yeah it, it of course it makes for much better relationships a lot of um a lot of um most conflicts are due to communication issues because people don't say what they really feel or they don't express it properly one one of the stories i tell um when joanne and i uh, were i don't even think we had our first child yet or no we must have because we were in our our house and um i was watching something on tv football basketball soccer i don't know something and she was um she was preparing supper or and then she asked me do you feel like cutting potatoes peel do you feel like peeling potatoes i said no no i'm watching tv she said okay and then there's a break and i go in the kitchen and she's crying i said what are you crying about 
She said, well, I asked you to peel potatoes and you turned me down. I said, you didn't ask me to peel potatoes. You asked me if I felt like it. I told you I didn't feel like it because I didn't feel like it. If you want me to peel potatoes, ask me to peel potatoes. I'll peel the potatoes. <laughs> and that's one of the things that she, she taught me. She, she taught me that in her family, um, people were not direct when they, when they had something to say. So either it was never discussed or it was done by the side and you're you're sort of um it's 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 the situation where if you loved me you'd understand i wouldn't have to say it no 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 that's not how it works you have to say it if something is bothering you you have to say it you have to express it and then you say this is what is bothering me and then you can have a discussion on how to fix it it's it's an amazing starting point Yeah, it's an amazing starting point. Yeah, just say this is this is not working for me. I would like us to fix it. Yeah, and uh, and that that's probably why I was able to stay married with, or she was able to stay married with me for twenty four <laughs> years because she learned to tell me uh, I don't like this. I want you I, to cut the potatoes I want right you now. To peel the potatoes right, right now. Now drop the TV. <laughs> well, listen, uh, Laurent, I told you it's going to be an hour, but uh, unless we uh, we veer off into uh, <laughs> to discussion because we can talk for, for, for forever, Indeed. for sure. Mm. Uh, you're a great speaker. Thank I th you. I think uh, you have no problem with the mic. Sometimes, uh, you know, I talk to guests, I warm them up a bit. We went straight <laughs> up. <laughs> Stop for almost two hours, my friend. Two hours? Almost wow. two hours, okay. yes. That's fine. No, that's fine. I'm fine. comfortable. I'm talking to you. No. It's a great time. That's what I was hoping. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you for being so open about uh, your, your relationship and uh, with your wife. It's my and, pleasure. And uh, what it means to you and even after. Mm. I think it's a, a, a very sensitive topic and thank you for being so honest about it. Well, thank you. Um, and how can people find out about your work or hire you, how to get in touch with you? How does it work? The best way to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. Uh, so Laurent Duperval, I believe I'm the only one. <laughs> the only one. I believe I'm the only, the only one, one. On, on LinkedIn, but... Maybe not, but yes, that's the easiest way to reach me. Laurence Parval on LinkedIn, send me a connection request. And a tip for people who are on LinkedIn, don't just send a connection request to someone, put a message that says, uh, this is why I'm connecting with mm. you. And if you say, I heard you on Baila, I'd like to, to talk to you, at least I know um, how you reached me. Because I, when I get, when I get, um, invites like that sometimes i don't accept them because there is a limit on linkedin on yeah. the number of contacts you can have and if you accept everybody at some point people who really want to get in touch with you can't Good because your your profile is full so if i just get an invite and i don't recognize the person from anywhere else i usually ignore so put a note saying Ilias sent me and That'll be great. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much, Laurent, for coming. And uh, we'll see each other uh, at some point in the future. We can do this again. I'll be more than happy to have you on. Me, same here. Thanks for inviting me. This was great. Thank you, Laurent. All right.